0: can never say they made me to leave a blueprint like I'm oh, she knows that she can never save me they can't take the blame so they gonna blame me
1: I just want to take a moment before we start the podcast to say that I know it's a lot of jokes of black women saying black men need to stop making podcasts and things of that sort but <laughs> I just want to say personally on my platform that I really do love black women and if i could i would give you all a big hug right now so everything i do is to promote positivity and just put a little bit more love back into the community and my thinking is that like if i use whatever influence i have or you know power that i have to help black men grow and become better people through my platforms then that'll only translate back into our homes our communities and produce better brothers cousins uncles and fathers so I ain't perfect, y'all, and I ain't saying that I always get it right, but I try my best to uplift black women, and women of all backgrounds, but most importantly, my black women, so I hope y'all feel the love this month, and long after, and y'all deserve it, and if y'all ever want to collab, I'm always open to that, so hit me up. So, what's up, bro? Happy to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Introduce yourself and say
0: something to the ladies to start us off. Oh uh, man! You got you got <laughs> Go ahead, man. man. You gave me the alley. Look, I mean, just like he said, happy International Women's Month, and I love you, black women. I really do. I love you. I respect you, and that's just that. I'll make sure I show that through my actions every day.
1: That's it. Well said, bro. Introduce yeah. yourself. Tell the people who oh, you yeah. are and what you do.
0: My name is Shalom C Obiago. I'm a Nigerian American actor and filmmaker. I'm based here in Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Nigeria. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just I love to create. I love to tell stories. And um, I love to inspire people uh, through my own journey. I don't think I've made it to any destination. I don't think I'm a master in any kind of craft. But I know that, you know, everybody's journey, there's a lesson in everyone's journey. So I just hope that people coming after me or people who are, you know, looking to change fields or anything can learn something from what I'm doing. I get sure. joy from that.
1: You know, for the passive watchers, bro, the people that click on in the first couple minutes, you know, they might click off. Tell the people a couple of your credits. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying just to hook them.
0: Facts, facts. <laughs> what you've been on? What you all, been right, doing, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. So it's been it's been a fruitful fruitful season, man. I recently I uh, have a recurring role on uh, P Valley season two coming out. I have an episode on Atlanta FX uh, season four. Dropping this year, actually, this fall. I'm a series regular on this show called The Black Hamptons. The article just, uh, deadline article just released, starring Lamar Rucker, Elise Neal, Vanessa B. Calloway, Mike Merrill, Cameo Sherelle, Brian J. White. Some surprise guests, too, Black China. Plenty of people, you know. Um, so it's just a pleasure to be on that show, and that's going to be dropping soon on BET. So stay tuned for that. Um, I also have some personal projects in the work. You know, like I said, I'm Nigerian, and I, I want to have that Nigerian influence in a lot of my work. So I'm working on a personal film right now to honor my dad's legacy. He just recently passed away, uh, Sam Obiago. He was an Hollywood actor, and I'm working on producing the film. I'll be shooting that here in the U.S. and in Nigeria. So. I'm hoping to really br- bridge that gap between Hollywood and Hollywood.
1: You Stole a couple of my questions, man. Oh man, <laughs> hey, we can we can dive deeper. So, no, hey, play,
0: play more where that came from.
1: Congratulations on all your success, bro! Dang. Like you're doing some really good things out here, and also sorry for your loss in terms. Um, of
0: the I appreciate that, bro. I really do.
1: I'm very excited for this episode, y'all, because me and Shalom, we briefly met at the gym while we were students at Penn. We never really had the opportunity to get to know each other on a deeper level. But. Yeah,
0: because this dude was always dunking on people, bro. That's, <laughs> that's how I made him. This dude, the most violent, <laughs> aggressive, but but clean hooper in the gym, bro. I
1: ain't going to lie to y'all. I'm
0: a nice person at all, <laughs> off the court. He <laughs> really is, bro.
1: But on the court,
0: y'all going to get the meanest Yo. person of me ever. <laughs> No. <laughs> I never would have thought I'd be sitting down talking with this dude It's oh, crazy,
1: I was a jerk bro <laughs>
0: <laughs> Only on the court though <laughs> Only on the court But no,
1: it wasn't until I followed you on Instagram where I saw like everything that you was doing bro So if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey leading up to what you do now So you can start with like your upbringing in yeah. between Africa and the States mm-hmm. um, What it was like growing up in Atlanta, schools you went to, anything you want to share
0: yeah, for sure, man. Well, like I said, you know, I'm I'm Nigerian American. I was uh, I was born here in Atlanta, actually. And uh, right after I was born, my my mom and my dad weren't <clears throat> together at the time, so um, I actually went to uh, Africa to live with my dad for a couple of years. So um, I lived in Niger, uh, Togo, and Nigeria. I lived I, I would visit, but I actually lived in Niger and Togo most of the time. Um, and I lived there for a couple of years. Great experience. I came back to America. Um, when I was about six or seven okay. And um, I was pronouncing words all kinds of incorrectly And apparently I still do today Some people look at me funny when I call salad salad So oh, but salad. I, <laughs> I had, to, had to work it out of me um, Especially for TV <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I, I grew up in Lithonia, Georgia okay. um, Which is Atlanta I just heard the song I was about to sing. Man, that, right. it's Atlanta, bro. <laughs> no! <laughs> Yo! Check your producer, bro. Come on. I can't fact check that, bro, because I don't know bro, the geography. A, hey, look, Atlanta's a culture, but look, we, we don't even need to get <laughs> He laughing. We're going to treat it like the diaspora. We all one. That's what we're going to treat it like, bro. Oh, my God. Anyways, man, that's another discussion. But, yeah, I grew up in Latonia, and um, I went to regular schools growing up. Um, I think the most significant impact on my career um, school-wise was when I went to DeKalb Elementary School of the Arts. Okay. That was in sixth grade. I went there for about a year and a half. My mom got a job in Kansas, and I left in the middle of the school year, went to uh. Kansas for <laughs> six months, and then I came back here, went to Stevenson Middle School. Um, after that, I went to the DeKalb School of the Arts for high school, ninth through twelfth grade, and that's where I really came into my passion for acting and uh, filmmaking. However, like I said, I'm Nigerian, so when I went to the Cap School of the Arts, it wasn't to become an artist. Right. I went to the Cap School of the Arts because in my neighborhood and the state, the Cap School of the Arts was the number two state. It was the number two school in the state uh-huh. for academics, right? So that's why my mom sent me there. It wasn't to do art. art Save that thought, bro, because yeah. I already thought about that. <laughs> yeah, you feel <laughs> me?
1: Uh, would you say that your experience of living in Africa yeah. in any way impacted the way you saw life here in America when yeah. you came back? Yeah. I heard a story from Nipsey. He was saying how his family is Eritrean, uh, Ethiopian background, and I believe he went back when he was 18 for the first time. Mm -hmm. He just saw, like, the change in pace and the way of life and also the values and how different they were from the U.S. And he said that changed his whole perspective and, like, what he wanted to do when he came back home. One story he told was, like, at lunchtime, he said, the city closed down from, like, 12 to 3, I believe. And at that time period, families are able to, like, go back home and, Mm -hmm. like, really build that camaraderie, be together, eat together, do homework, talk about the day, And um, yeah, I was wondering for you, bro, with your experience living in Africa, did that affect how you saw things here in the States? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Um, When I lived there and when I recently went back from my dad's funeral a couple weeks ago, the culture is just completely different. There's so many areas to touch on, but I'll touch on this one thing. And it's that the opportunities here in America are there. And it's so much. And when you're, born and bred in that you don't recognize what you have i'm not i'm not going to be the one to tell you that you know my home country is a third world country and it needs help and da 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 but poverty is rampant poverty is rampant it's there um and it's the point is that the hustle and grind culture there is top it's it's just next level i when i went there um you know I I was walking through the streets and people just look at you and just stare at you because you just glow like have a different glow when yeah. you're not from there. No, exactly. Because, what you, mean, you feel me? The sun isn't hitting you the same way it's hitting them when they're out there working, <clears throat> you know, and and getting getting that touching the the expensive things that we touch like that's normal to us. An iPhone yeah. to them <laughs> is like, dude, like that's like a million naira right oh, wow. there. That's a lot. And I thought to myself, I have I have two phones, right? One for work, one for personal, and it's like two phones i'm wearing like a jordan some jordans a chain apple watch or something and i'm literally wearing enough to buy like someone's home and i'm standing right here next to them and they can't even like that's what they could ever dream that's all they could ever dream of in their entire life is to have like what i'm literally just like chilling in right and you don't recognize that but to like Go there and realize that that's the case. That exists somewhere. Coming back to America, you can't just sit down and, like, let anything pass you by. Yeah. Because you're like, Jesus Christ, like, look at all that I have and all I have access to. How could I let this go to waste? So.
1: Wow, bro. That was, like, a breathtaking answer. Amen. And- Growing up, my grandmother is West African. She's from Liberia. I'm sure my fans or supporters they've heard this a million times. But she, growing up, she would always tell me to just be grateful for the opportunities and the chances here. And even like some of the forms of like discipline and chastisement, she would tell me like, you don't know how good you have it here. Oh man, like, you just don't know. And when you a kid, you really don't have that perspective because I've never <laughs> been um to Africa, so I would just take yeah. it for take it for granted. But since then, just being immersed in the culture having different friends and hearing about their experiences. I would say, even growing up in a West African household, yeah, it just it humbled me a lot. absolutely and I, it 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 also informs my work ethic and yeah. how I see life and a lot of people that don't have that connection to back home they just I don't think they would yeah. really understand but
0: absolutely definitely. man it literally even right now <clears throat> one one small thing, imagine we're sitting in this room with this podcast right now, right? if we're in Nigeria. At at some point, depending on what point in the day we're doing this podcast, the electricity could just cut off. Wow. Because it's not because it's poor. It's because they have to ration the electricity in the entire place. Everyone works on generators, right? Wow. So this whole podcast, all the electricity will cut off, and then, you know, the generator would kick in. They're prepared for it. The point is that the electricity isn't even going all the time. So, like, little stuff like that you wouldn't even think about not having. Jeez. Jeez.
1: I feel like I got to do better right now. Hey, man.
0: But you are. You're doing exactly what you need to do, bro. I love it.
1: For sure. I appreciate that. So if you could choose one thing about Nigerian culture that you would introduce to the states, what would it be? Oh, man. Shoot. It's one thing we need to learn.
0: One thing about Nigerian culture. um, There's a lot. But I, I I guess appreciation appreciation like little things, for little things. like literally the, <laughs> growing up whenever I eat chicken yo whenever I eat chicken I clean those bones man anybody watching this if you know me <laughs> You know I clean those bones And everybody Y'all like to make fun of it But I learned that from my mom And bro. my mom does that <laughs> She cleans the bones My mom can eat the bone And eat the bone marrow Because it's good for you Bro
1: I was about to say that Bro no. I think it's an African thing It bro. is bro My grandma will break
0: The chicken bone It, it suck the marrow out bro <laughs> Yo But guess what They never broke a bone before though That's a fact Alright then That's a fact And it's bro. like Bro cause my mom grew up During the Nigeria Biafra During the Biafran war okay. So you know those she had to appreciate those little things. That's where they got their food and stuff. So, you know, just appreciating the little things, being grateful for what you have. We we waste a lot, we throw away a lot here in America. So you know.
1: that's one thing I did learn from my grandmother, bro. Like she left Liberia during a war. She came here when she was fifteen. She started life here, but just growing up, like she would always try to hoard things and yeah. re- repurpose things. And we'd be like, oh, yeah. "Yo, just throw this away! <laughs> like, come on!" My grandma man. be like, "No." I'm keeping it. Somebody could use this. I didn't understand <laughs> it, but you know, with your answer, that helps like paint a a different picture and enhance Facts. my perspective. So, you know, before going to Penn, you talked about going to a performing arts high school out here right. in Georgia. Mm-hmm. What was that like, man? I went to a performing arts high school, but for art, art for drawing. Like, oh, okay,
0: okay, yeah, that's tough. Not like
1: you, yeah. It's a, it's called FLC.
0: Okay, hey, that's yeah. tough. That's tough. <clears throat> we
1: wasn't as we wasn't like yo. We went to oh, high school man. musical. Oh, see that
0: I was go see I was gonna touch on that too because everybody thinks that you know oh you went to a performing arts high school you almost just like walk around break out in song just like in the lunchroom Having just, concerts at the lunch table. I'm saying, and I'm not gonna pretend like that didn't happen here yes. and there. <laughs> However, it was not victorious. Yeah. All right. Um. But no, it was a good time. I mean it. Yeah, we were number two in the state for a reason. Um, the workload was—I won't say heavy, but it, you know, like it was a pretty rigorous academic program, right. um, which was a good thing. And also, the art program was pretty rigorous. It's like you kind of are balancing two lives—you know, a heavy academic life and then also the artistic life. But you know, I think it's a great opportunity for you know young kids to be able to explore their artistic you know passions. And then also, the school requires you to have two focuses: a major and a minor. So you major in one thing and then minor in something else. Um, And I think that's really cool because, like, just imagine, like, having four years of exploring, like, two or three different
1: talents. That's fire, bro. And I feel like I wish that uh, the U.S. would alter its current education system so people could have more time to explore their interests and their passions because I feel like it would make a big difference. I feel like a lot of people, they go their whole lives and even graduate from college multiple times and still don't know what it is that they want to do or what oh, they're yeah. passionate about because of yeah. the way our current system is. So Exactly. I'm glad you had that experience. I'm actually kind of jealous of that.
0: Oh uh, man, yeah. What
1: would you say would you say that it was there that you really started to like cultivate your passion and love for acting and film?
0: And the funny thing is sort of only sort of because I loved to act and make films while I was there, but funny enough, it wasn't in high school that I decided i'd be doing it for my full career and we'll get to that next i'm sure but it was really at penn ironically that i decided that i
1: think that that's crazy bro (laughs) you keep up with any of your peers from that school
0: from dsa oh yeah yeah my best friends like some of my best friends are literally from uh from high school from dsa so, what are some
1: know. of the people doing now? Like, you know, is anybody like acting, rapping, singing? Yeah,
0: yeah. We we oh actually yes, man. <laughs> I have um <clears throat> my boy Roberto. We're signed to the same agent. He's on this new Netflix show coming up. Uh it's gonna be first kill. Um he's real dope. That's uh right, bro. yep, yep. My boy Michael Caldwell, you know, Mike Good is his, his name. He's 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 at Tennessee State University right now. He's about to graduate. He's an engineer, but he's also a singer, a rapper, and he's He's going to change the game, man. He's going to change the game as an artist, you know. And, right, and I like how you're yeah.
1: showing love to your homeboys. Oh, music.
0: absolutely. That's man, the music. I don't know if you heard the music I was listening to when I came up. That's my boy. That's that's, that's what I listen me. to, bro. That's how I was <laughs> That's me. what I listen to. It's my boys. Mike Wins Good that's, checking in. That's thorough. <laughs> yeah,
1: man. <laughs> so, how was your experience at Penn, bro? Man. Let's talk about that, man. Because I was only there for a short time, and yeah. I know the graduate experience is a lot different from going there in undergrad.
0: Right, right. Penn. You know, it, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I loved Penn. And strictly because <clears throat> one of the biggest barriers for a lot of people getting good educations is financial. Yes. Penn removed that burden from me. So I didn't have to worry about money to go to college. It's a done deal. I can do anything. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just my Nigerian blood in me, but, you know, I didn't have to worry about finances. Oh, I'm getting everything. Yeah. <clears throat> Penn had lots of resources, specifically the Figley Program, first generation low income for those people who fit in that category. Okay. That was extremely helpful for getting textbooks and stuff. They held programs where they would give you free food, connect you with other peers and stuff, and I, and that was just awesome, you know. And then just the area too. Philly was a great area for me. I'm, you're from Philly, so yeah. you know, <clears throat> I know you have that pride. But you know, I wanted somewhere that was something like Atlanta, but then condensed. You know, for a college town, and I think that's kind of how I saw philly so yeah penn was a penn was a great place and then <clears throat> excuse me, Penn was a great place for exploration too, okay. you know, really just trying different classes and figuring out what it is that I want to do. I didn't settle on a major until or I had to my junior year um <clears throat> Most of that was due to the fact that I was arguing with my mom about what I should major in. And, yeah. You know, that's... We're
1: going to get to that yeah, point. Yeah, we're going to get to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually crazy, bro, because like you said, that is an unpopular opinion. I feel like when I talk to a lot of black students, especially first generation college goers that went to Penn, their experience is marked with a lot of triumph. Right. Um, sometimes even trauma and pain. I'll say for me, bro, going there as a grad student, that one year, I actually was just telling somebody this, that... The expression that you saw from me on the basketball court, yeah. bro, was because a lot of times I felt like that was the only time yeah. I was actually dominant or I actually was, like, excelling or on par or yeah. maybe even above par than my peers. But a lot of times when I was in the classroom, I didn't have that same level of confidence. I was very modest. I also I also was like a, a shadow of myself. Yeah. So I feel like um, maybe if I had more connection to some of the resources and things that you mentioned, I probably would have had a better experience. Definitely, definitely. But I actually feel that way about Temple. Because just like you, like, I didn't have to worry about money while I was there. And, bro, like, a lot of people don't know what that does for you when you just have the freedom to just focus solely on your academics. Mm -hmm. And when you come from, like, the family structure and discipline like us, Mm -hmm. bro, you just, you're going to take on every single opportunity to win, bro. I came to Temple as a junior, and... Bro, I left as a diamond award recipient, and Sheesh. the diamond award is like the highest student accolade that a person could receive. It's only Dang. 24 kids out of 40,000 students. Oh man, that. hey, y- y'all hear this? <laughs> That's I'm not crazy. not even a toot my own horn. It's more so tooting the horn to what we come from. Yeah, brothers. yeah. I don't think if I didn't have that African ancestry and culture and upbringing, I don't know if I would have the same drive, work yeah. and things that you just mentioned.
0: But man, won the college Oscar.
1: Man, I'm trying to get, like, you. (laughs) (laughs) On the way. What would you say is some of your most memorable experiences from that time of your life?
0: Memorable experiences at Penn? Yeah. Mm. Shoot. it's
1: probably too many to
0: count. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have. I'm not going to lie. You asked me about memorable experiences, and I went to, like, the worst experience. Uh (laughs) Um, But honestly, like, something that's a positive memory, at Penn, I... Um how about this? At Penn I I worked as a I was executive director of this photography and videography company called O okay. Snap Photography under Penn Student Agencies. I ran that company for about two years or a year and a half. He running companies and in undergrad. And in undergrad it was it was a great opportunity. And if your school doesn't have a student agencies at um, you know that that's another story, but but just look it up. Penn Student Agencies, and then there's a student-run business administration for undergrads, so if any, there are any undergrads watching this, look into that. It's a great program for taking leadership roles at an early age, and I think that's such a, like that's how I, I use that to get me where I am now, so definitely look into that. But uh, my point is, I ran this company, and I guess my most memorable moment was when O-Snap Photography was a, a group of about, we had about, 10 to 12 photographers, videographers under me who, you know, we contracted out to do work. There's a club called Penn Lens, um, and there were freelance photographers and videographers who took on clients and stuff. Basically, they were looking for a way to, you know, pay their students more and da-da-da, and long story short, we ended up acquiring them. So I became executive director. I decided I didn't really like, oh, snap photography, the name anyway. So I said, let's go ahead, change it. So I said, we'll be, we'll be Penlands. You know, it was a long and arduous process, but we ended up signing off, you know, and we acquired the company and it, we became Penn Lens and I became executive director of Penlands running about 60 photographers and videographers, That's major. you know, man. and that, that was is... like the end of my junior year, senior year. And I'm like, and even though COVID hit, COVID hit. But, you know, it was still a great opportunity to just be in this position. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I learned so much from that. So that's probably my most memorable moment, signing off on that deal. And I'm like, yo, did are we an undergrad? And did we just really, like, that's acquire crazy. a group and grow to 60 people? And am I executive director?
1: Bro, I just was having a conversation <clears throat> with somebody this weekend. I was telling them that, bro, being on the executive board of a, a student at Oregon College, yeah. sometimes it feels so real, bro. bro. Like, it's your whole <laughs> life, like, the stuff that y'all be doing. Facts. like. Facts. It be like some real. You eat, sleep, and breathe Yo. your student org, bro. People that didn't have that experience of joining the club or being on the executive board,
0: where they wouldn't know what we mean by that. Word, it's crazy, bro. <laughs> bro. That stuff was serious, bro. Dude, people be getting impeached.
1: For real, bro. <laughs> it be it be a lot of drama too, man. It oh, be crazy. come on, bro.
0: The most drama.
1: But, you know, on the flip side of that, what would you say was the most challenging aspect of being in that environment as a black man? Oh. I don't know if you were first generation, but you spoke to a lot of the positives, you know, if you could shed light on some of the things that, you know, weren't so shiny. Yeah.
0: You know, those <clears throat> things. That- a lot. It's penn man. $13 billion endowment, you know, people come into the school who parents fly private jets and don't struggle a day in their life, and you're supposed to compete on the same plane as them yeah. in the same classes, you know. Cla- <sighs> what? It, it's not, you know, Talk it, you about just, it, bro. it's just not the same. We're yeah. not we're literally are not on the same level. It's like the this, the common saying we all know it's you got to work twice as hard to be yeah. just as good. It's the same thing. They're coming with a background that's, you know, pen pen functions just like their high schools did. Their private high schools did and stuff, you know. We have to do a lot more adjusting to the environment and the, you know, the school in itself than they do because they were brought up in that environment, you know, and then they have the support of their parents. Cause I know I mentioned earlier, I didn't have to worry about finances. That didn't mean that I had money. Right. I still had to work to pay for stuff. You know, it was just that I didn't have to worry about paying tuition. Right. That's what I meant. So I said that to say that. I still have to worry about work to, like, eat food and do all this kind of stuff. You know, I got to ration my swipes and stuff like that, right. you know, whereas these students are just having a blast, yeah. you know. They're just enjoying all the fun parts of it, you know, having, you know. And then, at the same time, there's this pressure that's underlying everything you do, like, where you're working for your life, essentially. Yeah. Like, you're working for your well-being. Yeah. It's not just to oh I'm going to I'm going to get a degree to make my parents happy and that's all it is just because they No, you're working for your life because if I don't get this degree, then you know, I'm not gonna have a surefire way to make sure my mom and my family can pay continue to pay bills and I can support them and I can get to a point of, you know, being successful and stuff. So it's like you're just on completely different playing fields and the problem comes when you're interacting with a majority your majority of your peers don't understand what you're going through. Yeah. So the interactions you have with them don't factor in that don't factor in your experiences cuz they just don't get it and it's hard for me to pick it up right now and tell you exactly like little ways that 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 messed it up but it, it's just hard like yeah. being around a bunch of people who don't I get know, it. Oh
1: completely bro like I think Part of the reason why I struggled so much there is because a lot of times, bro, I just felt like people didn't understand me, mm-hmm. and as a graduate student, I already am not familiar with the landscape on campus. I don't know too many people because in undergrad, in grad school, the social uh, opportunities are just a lot different. When you're in grad school, you're really like doing a job. You might have a family. You might have worked in your industry and come back, yeah. and so mm-hmm. there's not many opportunities to really meet people and build that camaraderie on campus like you would in undergrad, so A lot of times I just isolated myself right? because even the black people that I felt I came across on campus where I just felt like even sometimes they didn't understand me, bro. A lot
0: of the time. I went to a
1: a club. It was an interest meeting. Yeah. And the icebreaker was name the best country that you ever been to. Hilarious. America. (laughs) What do you mean? People were saying like, oh, I went to Dubai. Uh, Oh, I went to here, there. I'm a first generation college goer. My family, low income background. When my grandma came to America. Yeah. That was the last time we traveled across yeah. the borders. So for me, bro, a lot of my experience growing up was within the constraints of however big Southwest is in Philadelphia. Yeah. Bro, that was as far as my vision could see of the world. So going to a school like Penn, it was very eye opening, bro, because you're coming across black people that are second third genera- generations yeah. of wealth and privilege <laughs> mm-hmm. um but also uh the nepotism that you see they've, oh please. they've yeah. they've benefited from those systems and i just had no idea what that yeah. was like absolutely so it kind of it's, it's it hurts bro when you like you you don't fit in in one place in this larger society or a la- larger community and then you try to go commune with your own people and you still don't yeah. fit in there it's like yeah. That really took a toll on me, bro. And there was times where I really thought about giving up because I just felt so alone. Yeah. But thank God for my family, my supporters, mentors. Like yeah. they just kept willing me to the finish line. But yeah. that it's hard, bro.
0: Absolutely, bro. And honestly, like lastly too, like we're both black men, bro, and we both have distinct features that, like, you know, like you're, the thing is, you're light skin, but I know you had twists back then. They weren't yeah. as long as they were now, but you had them. You know, and it's like exactly. And and, and I'm just I'm dark skin. Right. And I, you know, I had my ears pierced, you know, around my freshman year or whatever. And obviously those are choices I made. But the point point being is that people look at you like you don't belong there. And you can try and ignore it as much as you want. But it's like still it's there, bro. Like you
1: don't know how many times I came into the gym and people were like. They thought that I was a worker, a worker, a bro. worker
0: at the gym. I'm already knowing,
1: and I'm like, no, nah, I go to school here. Yeah, they're like, what? People that are watching this, the interactions are at Penn are very much transactional, robotic. Like yeah. when you introduce yourself to somebody, you shaking your hand, you telling them what you go to school for, and you telling yeah. them what you do. Right. Like you have to have that 30 second pitch ingrained in your mind. That was yeah. so crazy for me to adjust to, bro. Because I'm just like, oh, what's up, I'm
0: Tay. Yeah. He's
1: like, what do you do? Who are you? Like, it's like you always got to like, prove yourself. Dang. You gotta.
0: You got to p- prove yourself first, like, especially, like, looking like, uh, like, I'm sure a white dude walking around, someone's going to immediately assume that he goes to Penn. Yes. So they're not going to be like, oh, like, questioning you, but it's like, you, for us, they look at you, it's like, we immediately have to, as soon as we see somebody, first thing we have to do is state your worth. Yes. State your worth. Damn. What What are you here for, and why should you be here? Damn. You know what I mean? And it's like, that, that alone is an added pressure. <clears throat> that you is know?
1: crazy, bro, but. One thing I will say that I learned from that entire experience was I had a moment in one of my, uh, one of my classes for my major, I think it was called developmental d- disabilities. Okay. So my professor, a white woman, she was bringing in different speakers who had experience of dealing with a child or a person with a developmental disability. And they were just speaking from their experience. I'm the only African American in this class is about 12 students. Majority white, I would say is about one or two Hispanic or Latinx people in the classroom. And week after week, bro, we're about six, seven weeks into the class. And I just keep seeing the teacher bringing white speakers. we having white discussions. <laughs> I just felt like my experience was being muted. And also, like, the conversations that we were having, bro, if we're talking about developmental disabilities, um, kids having, like, ADHD or any other type of mental health issue or diagnosis, Right. Bro, if, you, if we preparing to go work in the Philadelphia school district, which is one of the toughest school districts in the country, yeah. how is this helping us be prepared to go and do what we're supposed Literally. to do? Literally. It's not helping at all. So I had a moment one day, bro, where, like, I got so frustrated at the conversation because this speaker was coming in and she was just speaking with so much privilege about all of the accommodations she was able to make for her children and for them to get to the next level. And I just got furious, bro, that I was in tears and I walked out of the classroom. Out of my entire academic experience in school, bro, I never walked out to class before. Yeah. I never cried in school either. Yeah. So I called my mentor, and it's, it's it's interesting. She's a white woman. I called her, and I was, like, you know, telling her about what happened. And she told me something that was so powerful, bro, and it, it changed my life from from that moment on. But she was like, you know, I understand, you know, what you went through. I understand yeah. how you feel in this moment, but she was like, do you think it, that was the right thing to do to just walk out the classroom with no explanation? Right. And I thought about it. I was like, well, you know, my experience is not being talked about, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you know, I understand. I'll give you a pass today, but mm-hmm. she like, for one, you're not changing anything by yeah. just getting frustrated and walking out. Like, right. You have to be able to stand in your power in moments when you are uncomfortable or moments when you don't have hope or, you, yeah. you know, you feel vulnerable and helpless. That's real. And she was like... Go home, you know. Today, um, think about it. You know, take a moment to breathe. But she said you need to think about what you can do to better your situation. Yeah. So she helped me come up with an email that, you know, I explained to my professor what was happening. I asked her for a meeting, and for the rest of the semester, she changed things. She was like, "Oh my god, wow. say, I didn't know that you were experiencing. It. I didn't know that she was feeling this way, bro." She brought in speakers of color for the remainder of the semester. Wow. And it was because I was able to turn that pain into power. Yeah to change my situation. So that told me like, it's going to be moments where you feel helpless or you feel, you know, certain ways. And it's like, how can you utilize those emotions to create something good? Wow. And that was what I learned from that experience. It was, you know, that was a crazy time for me, bro. That's real.
0: That's definitely real. I think a lot of the, 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 the teachings, the narratives that we hear now is like, when you feel a certain way, feel it, allow yourself to feel, feel. And that's totally cool. Totally understandable. But like, at some point, you have to change something. something. You yeah. have to make something change. You know, you can't just keep feeling a bunch of stuff. All this that passivity is is self-destructive.
1: Yeah, and I couldn't have said that any better, bro. That was a deep part of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to switch the tone up a little bit. But yeah, yeah. do you feel like going to a traditional Ford College was like the next step in your journey after leaving high school? Because I saw an interview a while back. I don't know if it was Daniel Kalua or Damson, but they were talking about, British actors portraying roles of U.S. characters. Right. And they were saying that they're able to switch their, their dialects or, you know, their accents so well because of the training that they yeah. have mm-hmm. in the U.K. and London. And they were saying that a lot of them are trained from, like, early. Like, they're trained in theater. They yeah. know how to sing. They know mm-hmm. how to dance. They're not just acting, you know, portraying a role. Yeah. And I was thinking about, they reference things in America, and I realized, bro, like, you just said Black China is in the show yeah. that you want. She so don't have no training or experience yeah. in acting. So it's like, for you, how did that play out in terms of, like, developing your skills yeah. set as an actor? And, like, I don't know how knowledgeable you are of the trajectory for an actor in the United States, but, like, what yeah. does that look like?
0: So for me, training is important. I, I was training through Penn. Even I, I was training outside of Penn, actually. Because um, Penn had some theater classes, but I didn't have space on my schedule because I was doing a different major to put those on. I was training and acting outside of Penn. that was another place I had to come up with money from i was um I trained at one school that you may know is um well not, someone may know Playhouse West in okay. Philadelphia. I was training there um and it was pretty rigorous. I would go there, and my class was literally from like seven p m to like eleven wow. at night in the city you know, and I would go twice a week um so I was training training is extremely important um And ironically, and I'm still training now, like you're always training as an actor. That's anybody who asks me, where do I start acting? How do I start? They're always asking, like, where are the auditions? It's like, no, don't worry about that. First, you need to get into a school and start training. That's the first step for anything. It's always training, always learning. And the truth is, that's the case for any field you're going into. What field is, like, if you want to be a doctor, you don't say, hey, where are the doctor applications?
1: What I will say, (laughs) the difference about that is, bro, it's like a set. for sure for sure for sure so if you could speak a little bit to like yeah how do you go about finding this how do you go about it you know yeah those things
0: honestly i think word of mouth and and talking to people like i don't know if somebody's watching this and you're seeing me talking about it i'm accessible on instagram right you know and if you see like at shalom Obi, if you see my name dm me hey what are some classes that you can recommend and that—that's all you need. One person to give you a good, reputable class. If that one doesn't work for you, you ask the person there. Hey, do you know some classes in my area or something? Sure. All it takes is one good word of mouth recommendation to like get you around. And then also just googling yourself and being a smart internet user. I think a lot of people want stuff handed to them in this digital age, you know. And um, be a smart digital user. Like yeah. we, we, YouTube look, University, man. Facts, I didn't go to facts.
1: school for communications, but I didn't. Learned how to do all this. I'm telling you. When it comes to acting or even any kind of field, like, I'm sure it's the same way. Yeah. So, you're my second guest from West Africa, bro. Yep. And I got to ask you this. You was touching on it a little bit earlier. Yeah. But what was your experience... Navigating your passion for the arts within (laughs) your household. And I say this because a lot of people don't know the pressure that African parents put on their kids to become, like, doctors, lawyers, or tech professionals. So were your parents supportive of your journey? Like, what was that like trying to convince them?
0: Because you made it clear to say
1: earlier, I went to a performing arts school for academics. Not not even art. And I knew what you meant. But I don't know if the viewers knew what you meant.
0: Look, look, look. I'll say it like this. As a Nigerian, or really any immigrant, but I'm going to speak specifically for the Nigerian West African experience, you know, there are only a few career options for you. You can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be an engineer, or you can be a disappointment. (laughs) Choose one. (laughs) We are disappointments. Choose one. (laughs) Choose one, because... You know, and honestly, when you're young, it sounds so annoying. It's kind of ridiculous, but you know, when as you get older, you start to understand why it's like that. Because, like you said, set paths, right? Yeah. When someone immigrates to this country, it's because they're looking for a better, better future and opportunities, right? And they're looking for like safety, like you know, for us in the, in our uh, we're we're in the newer generation, and like looking for a safe choice is almost looked down on these yeah. days. For them, the safe choice is like. What are you doing? These <laughs> Take are the self check.
1: that we know can change our lives. Exactly.
0: And the stability that we
1: came here Facts. for. So you're going to do this. You're
0: going to do that. <laughs> like you know, I came to this country for you to you know. So you know, um, it was just. Um, Navigating my career in the household wasn't there wasn't much navigation. I my solution was I really kind of just hid stuff from my mom. Yeah. I didn't really let her know that I was acting too much. Like she knew it was there, but I kinda made it seem like, yeah, it's just a side just thing. I like, don't really, you know <laughs> you know. Um You gotta do that sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Bro. Because sometimes it's just like honestly, I would do it for my sake, but also for her sake, because <laughs> our parents be dramatic, man. You tell them that I, I want to be an actor, ah, an actor. Jesus! <laughs> uh, my mom, she used to be like, why don't you just go
1: to school for business? Oh, my like, God. I like helping people. She's like, you can help people any day. <laughs> I'm like, grandma, this is just what I want to do. So it got to a point where it was a lot of back and forth. I think until she saw, like, all of my successes, um, me winning a diamond award and different things I was doing, um, she felt a lot better. So. Yeah. How do you feel personally, bro, seeing the representations of Nigerians in Hollywood right now? Whether it's yeah. Yvonne Orji from Insecure, Damson, Wizkid, mm-hmm. Devito, oh, Timms. it man. must oh, feel man. really good to see. Absolutely,
0: people shining. man, I'm so happy to see Nigerians being, you know, being more received received well in Hollywood, you know, and by American culture. You know, Damson Idris, one of my favorite actors on Snowfall, yo. Come on, man. Yvonne, I love her so much, and her stand-up was so amazing, so relatable, and the story she told, it's literally my life. It's so accurate, and I'm so glad that she had the platform and she used her platform to share that. Um, Sometimes, though, I'm I'm trying not to hold a grudge against black Americans. (laughs) Black Americans. (laughs) Um, I'm trying not to hold a grudge because when I was younger, I grew up here, Mm -hmm. and the truth is that people made fun of me for being African You know, for having African names, African booty scratcher, all that stuff. Like, I hated being African growing up. I I hated I talked about that on the episode, but I want to hear
1: about your experience. Bro,
0: Bro, I hated being African because I grew up, you know, in Latonia, and the kids would literally make jokes. Like, I remember, you know how we had field day in school? I remember I was always, like, one of the fastest people and oh, i remember man, this one dude who that. told i actually remember his name i'm not going to drop it though but <laughs> I I, he man he he's, he made a joke to me he said he said oh i know why and, 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 i know why shalom is so fast and the issue with this is that he was so serious bro or did
1: he say you was running from animals in africa bro
0: specifically lions and tigers I knew and bears he, was say that. he said that i was so fast because i had to run from that and he meant it he he wasn't joking. It wasn't supposed to be funny. He was like, oh, no, like, no, guys, don't <laughs> guys, don't worry about it. It's because Shalom, he has to run from that da, da da And everyone was like, oh, hmm, hmm, hmm. And I'm like, yo, what? And, you know, in addition to that, people just, like, made so many African jokes. Like, it was so, like, people love the fake, like, oh, as you're, yeah. like, stupid stuff like that, real ignorant stuff. And, you know, it, it's like that persisted until, like, a long time and so now to see Nigerians like people listening to Afro be you know and people I try not him. to
1: be that guy too bro you know because I, mean? I had to come to terms with that in my journey as well yeah. like for for a long period of my life bro like just like you I hated being African and I hid it from my because I have the luxury of being born in America so I don't right. have an accent mm-hmm. I could go exactly. outside and just blend in and assimilate with the larger dominant culture mm-hmm. here. and it got to a certain point in my age where I was just like don't feel right man it's yeah. not really real it's not me because if you look at my if you come to my house my friend's like oh like we didn't know like why you never yeah. told us this i'm like yeah you see what they doing to people outside show yeah. so our f- bro they say you know the house smell like fish yeah i love cassava leaf bro potato greens they say like what is that The food <laughs> look like poop it look like throw up. <laughs> bro they would say so many crazy things bro yeah. that in order to hide myself from that i just was like I'm not even going to tell nobody that I'm African. I'm going to just try to blend in as best as possible. Exactly. But when would you say that that changed for you? Like, when would you say that that click where you started to – I'm not going to say that you didn't take pride in it because I know we always were prideful in our culture. But,
0: you know, when would you say that, you know, you saw things change in your own life? College. Definitely during Penn. Um, I think it's because, and truth be told, it's because I met some women, peers at Penn who – were nigerian Mm -hmm. in the community and they were proud of who they were yeah and it was really that simple and i saw and i was like whoa like people people are actually proud i didn't meet people like that back where back at home you know i was the only nigerian and i wasn't proud and i got to college and there are people who were proud and people who came from nigeria who I, i was like whoa they were proud i'm like i'm nigerian and in that moment i was like no i love who i am yeah it was that simple.
1: same for me bro same for mm-hmm. me. I want to give a shout-out to some of my homies, my guy Yusuf, Suleiman, uh, Reem, all of them, bro. I talked about this in another episode, but they just were so proud. And yeah. the Africans in Philly, bro, it's a large Muslim community in Philly. And while I'm not Muslim, I just always was fascinated by the communal aspect of that religion, bro. They go yeah. to mosques together. They go to community events together. And they really just made being African the cool thing to do. They yeah. didn't try to assimilate to the larger culture of Philly or even America. They just did their own thing. Mm-hmm. And the ways in which Africans celebrate each other, bro, is so unparalleled. Absolutely. From the birthdays, yeah. the weddings, oh, man, any the wedding. type of celebratory events, Facts. bro. And it's so beautiful because I wish that we could, if it was anything that we could incorporate from African culture to American culture, that would be yeah. it, bro. Like, yeah. Talk to that, bro, like the ways in which... I see Nigerians really going hard at the yeah. weddings and everything, throwing For the money. Sure. Talk Absolutely. about that, bro. Why that's important?
0: Absolutely, man. That's just. I mean, it's all about. It's all about community. It's all about community. Like you know, in, in the in the African community, when you, somebody dies, you have such a people who don't even know you, but know you through someone who knows you, who knows you, who knows you. Auntie, that's your auntie. Uh,
1: yep, we said it at the same time.
0: <laughs> and that's your uncle. You feel me? It's 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 all about community. It's all about family. And the thing is that that is that's like that's characteristic of African American culture as well. It's just a bit diluted in America. So it's not to say that Nigerians are the only one who have that aspect, but, but in America that even in the African American communities, it's, it's diluted, you know? So I think that that's, you know, like that's so important in the African communities. It's that it's that community, especially when you're in a foreign country. Um, admittedly, there is their other extreme of it where you have the competition and yeah, the, but sure. you know at we the core. Focus on the good. You feel me? <laughs> you feel me at the core. We going to be proud, right? Sure. At the core, there's community, there's love, spreading the wealth, support, you know, a place a, a home to a home away from home all the time and that uh, I love that.
1: So you talked about this earlier, bro. It was one of my questions, but you said that your dad was a Nollywood actor. Yeah. What? Nollywood films were you watching growing up, bro?
0: Honestly, I can't even tell you. I don't even, I the, the the only, the main character that I remember from the films I watched was mm-hmm. Uso Bu, Okay. and he, he that means trouble, and he's just this hilarious dude. There are plenty of other characters, like the, the twins, the little brothers, or whatever. Tom and Jerry? No, 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 no. That's oh. my favorite movie, oh, yeah? bro. Tom and Jerry is my favorite
1: Nollywood film, bro. It's oh, crazy, because I remember, like, if anybody knows Philly, there's this strip in Philly called Woodland Avenue, and Woodland is an iconic strip in philly it's iconic in the u.s because it's a it's clusters of ethnic stores but bro from like I say, like 60th maybe like down to 70th and it blocks in philly is long yo but yeah it's filled with african stores bro african restaurants african clothing stores african entertainment stores bro and like you really see your culture reflected in yeah. the community. And I just remember we, we always used to go to the cassette stores. And had, that's when people was using um, VHRs. Yeah. Uh, we was watching DVDs. We got Blu-ray. I remember that. But my grandma used to have the stacks of Nollywood films, bro. Oh, word. And Tom and Jerry, bro, that, it really took
0: me wow. back. I, I, was I like, didn't know you were doing it like that, man. man I, didn't, really I didn't know. Big, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say the names. I know my dad, though. He, was, um, he got more famous around, the, um, like, more recently. So, within the last five or six years, those are the films that he stars in. So, if you look up his name, Sam Obiago, on YouTube or Google or anywhere, once, you know, once you sift through all the blogs talking about death, death, all that stuff, you'll find, um, you'll find a lot of his work on YouTube. And he, he, was, uh, he was known as the king of Dollywood. He's always oh. playing the chief, always, always playing the king, and I, I claim that, so.
1: Referenced your dad a couple of times, bro. Mm-hmm. We talked about his career as an Hollywood actor, and now it's like a natural progression for you to do that. Yeah. Talk about your dad's influence. Like what influence did he have on your career and just you as a person?
0: You wanna know the truth, bro? Of course. And and I've actually never like said this anywhere. So my dad, I didn't really grow up with him. Mm-hmm. He was in Nigeria my entire life. And I I was raised by a single mom. Wow. Here. Um I didn't know my dad was an actor until Three years ago. Uh, he DM'd me. I hadn't talked to him in many, many years. He DM'd me on Instagram, and I'm like, who's this DMing me? And I look at it. I'm like, is this my dad? I go to his page, 60,000 followers. What? And I just see a bunch of Nollywood stuff, like King, Chief, all this. I'm like, what? My dad was a Nollywood actor, and... I, at that time, I was already an actor. I was already training That's and crazy. going in that direction. So I had no idea he was an actor when he reached out to me and I found out that he was an actor. And ever since then, we, we maintained a connection. And, you know, I won't speak too much on, you know, what happened and his, him being there and not being there and stuff. But I know that there is love there. Right. And um, I'm glad that in the later years of his life, I was able to... Um, to have that connection with him, you know, and and I, it's definitely seeing his impact on people, the way people talk about, like the main thing when we went to his funeral, there were over, over a thousand people who came, and maybe like two thousand, um, you know, and and the the thing people had to say about him most was how kind he was, and I think that impacted me in my my career because it's like, I'm guess worrying less about like being the best actor than I am. With impacting people in the best way, so
1: that's so crazy, bro. Like, do you find that crazy that even though y'all didn't spend time together, that you still
0: became an actor?
1: Well, I think it's something worth noting about that because yeah. I had a similar experience a couple of years ago, but yeah. I never really—I don't have any like recollection of my yeah. father. So I went through my whole life, I heard stories. Your dad was six four. He was a basketball player. He got oh, all man. the girls. Blah blah blah. <laughs> I'm just like. Yeah, he ain't here though. Facts. Facts. Like, so, that's cool, but. Uh, where you at? And I had an experience while I was at Penn, bro. I got a random message on Facebook Messenger. Shit, oh, man, me, bro. I never get on Facebook. Facts. But this day, I just got on. I got on Facebook Messenger and I see, like, the message requests. So I'm like, let me just go through this. And I go through them and it's a paragraph, bro. It's, like, a long ass <laughs> paragraph. Like Whoa.
0: That.
1: So I get to read in a paragraph and. It's a woman. And she says, I have two boys. I believe these are your brothers. Oh, And wow. she started telling me about it. And I look at the boys for a second. I'm like, oh, they kind of look kinda like me, <laughs> but you a total stranger. Like, i never Whoa. saw you before in my life. So i read the message again. I hit up my family um, on my maternal side. I'm like, do these people look familiar? They like, them boys look like you. Man. And I'm like, because I wanted to see my dad. So I was like, if these are really my little brother's, I was like, send me a picture of my dad so I yeah. can clarify. And she sent me a picture of my dad. And I was like, damn. Like
0: it's, Dang. It's
1: real. Like, yeah. So I, I always thought, like, my life was so weird, bro, that I was the yeah. only person that had that kind of experience of, like, family members finding you on social media. Oh, no. That's crazy. Trust.
0: Trust. Trust. I have plenty. Yeah.
1: I think it's also worth noting, bro, like, going back to the beginning of the episode, just yeah. crediting black women for their strength. You was raised by a single black woman. Oh, yeah. I was raised by a group of single black women. Man. And how we turned out, Ivy League success, bro. Man. Everything that we're doing, it's crazy, what? bro. So I really just want to give a shout-out to the black women. Absolutely. Like, that's amazing.
0: Absolutely. So, amazing.
1: Going back to your your resume and your portfolio, bro, I was looking on your IMDb. Yep. And you touched on a lot of your um, opportunities and your credits. Yep. But what would you say has been like, what would you say was your first big break? And how did you go about creating that opportunity for yourself?
0: I would say my first big break was, it varies. I'll say there's two spheres, okay, because there's the independent production realm, and then there's that realm where you step into doing union, which is SAG, um, Screen Actors Guild, that work. They're two different arenas. Okay. While I was at Penn, I shot two independent feature films at the same time, actually in the fall of 2019, and that experience was amazing. Um, but I'll say like what I would call like one of my biggest breaks, working with people who were, you know, in Hollywood on a union production, really understanding how Hollywood works, and I shot it in Hollywood. Was a short film called First Day Back that, um, and I think you saw a clips from it.
1: I was the one using the hallway, snapping. Yeah, that
0: snapping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that film um you know first of all the message was great it was about you know uh schools like school to prison pipeline and stuff um but that was that's what i considered like my first big break because i was able to work one with icons like um loretta divine um shirley ralph was the ep my boy etienne maurice was on that javicia was in that you know there are there are plenty people on that project and it was just an awesome opportunity um and i i shot it in la i shot i you know i sh- i booked it the day after i came i went to la to work an internship on the production side um and how i got that opportunity for myself was by submitting myself i'd been submitting for 2 years not getting any auditions not auditioning not hearing anything back and this short film i finally i didn't give up submitted for myself booked it and got in there, so that's why it feels like my biggest break because I didn't have an agent submitting for me. I didn't have anybody. It was all me, you know. I did it by myself and went, flew to a state I'd never been to before. Second day I landed, booked it, and was got to shooting.
1: Well, I think that answer speaks to your humility and how you carry yourself as a person because in the beginning of the episode we kind of flexed, like some of the bigger projects that right. you've been on, and those would be, like, your Big break, claims right. to fame, you know, but you said, like, your, one of your first opportunities. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's, like, that's admirable.
0: Yeah, because you know you can do it yourself. Yeah. You know you can do it yourself. You know, I'm not going to expect any agent or anybody to do something for me that I can't even try and do for myself. For sure. You know, but now I know I can, so now I got oh, the agent and the manager it. to do it on a bigger level, so.
1: And I think that just takes me right into my next point, bro, is, like, one thing that I noticed about you is, like, you strive to be the best in everything that you do. Yes, sir. From my observations from afar, it's down to the little things, like the way yeah. you approach the gym and maintaining yeah. your shape, mm-hmm. uh, the parts in your hair. I'm telling the you. The way you speak. Yeah. Uh, it seems like you want to make sure that every time you present yourself to the world, like, you're at your level best. Where would Absolutely. you say that that mentality stems from, and how has that aided you in your success? I also say, uh, yeah. Shalom has motivated me to get back into the gym in 2022. Oh, because man, that's real. He got real. a moniker that he posts on his story almost yeah. every day. He said, keep, just keep showing up.
0: Just keep showing up, man.
1: He in the gym every... I asked him before the interview. I'm like, you in the gym seven days a week? <laughs> that's Every time I open Instagram, I see this man lifting weights. I'm like, dang, I got to do better, man. So like, hey, speak to that, bro. Like, What would you say that your mentality stemmed from?
0: Yeah. Um, I'll say this. And I actually posted something about this earlier, and I, I wanted to you know make a more serious video to present it on a in a bigger way but nobody how about this nobody can criticize you if you're always getting better mm. like there's there's no destination it's just always constant improvement the only people who aren't constantly improving are dead so if you're alive if you're if you're alive and you're always working on improving yourself, no one can say anything about you, right? And honestly, that's kind of just where that mentality stems from. I I look at being the like I work at wor- not being the best. I work at working on towards being the best as as a defense from anything. Not just anyone, but also anything. Any discouragement, any failure, anything, any missed expectations or anything like that. The simple fact that I'm working on it is what gets me back up on my feet. I, I work out all the time, yes, but I fall off, too. Yeah. I could be so much bigger than I am now or I could be in better shape if if my diet sometimes was better. Like, I eat well, but the issue is sometimes I miss meals because, I you know, and it's work like, and moving around. you feel me? Yeah. And I, there are places where I can improve, but the point is every time I'm going to, like, keep on working on getting better, you know, I'm just going to keep showing up. It's just about showing up. You know, if you're not worried about, like, be the best. It's about show up to work towards being the best, you know.
1: And that's crazy, bro, because I feel like, in a way, you summarized my podcast. That was the exact ethos behind my brand. Failing forward. Just keep showing up just like you every single day. It doesn't matter about – Anybody else? This just for you, and I think what you spoke to is like falling in love with the process. Absolutely, and not being attached to the outcome. Or Absolutely, the, where the destination will lead. It's just taking Got every to. day as another opportunity to get better, yeah. and I think that that's really powerful, bro. So that was a great answer. You know, in the same token though, from the little bit that I know about acting, I would re- I would assume that it requires some level of like you know sacrifice. Yeah. Right? So, and what I mean by that is like the giving of yourself to whatever space you're in for that moment. Yeah. So those are times where you can't solely rely on the image that you've carefully and oh, tactfully yeah. curated for yourself out in the real world. So yeah. like when it comes to acting, how do you go about letting yourself be vulnerable and really surrender to whatever role that you're playing in, that, in a specific setting?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. I will say, for, first of all, I haven't yet had the opportunity, at least on, on the union scale, you know, you know, in, in Hollywood to actually dive into a role that I could really open myself up to yet, and that's what I'm looking forward to um, but if you ask me what I would do to approach that um I don't know yet, and it I guess that's my honest answer. I wish I could give a better answer, but that's that's a good question i I don't know yet um but all I know is I became a better actor when I gave up on just looking cute mm. because. There is a point where I just want and this can be applicable to other industries, but I I wanted to be cute. You know, I'd be on screen and it's like, all right, tell you, hate her. And it'd be like, I hate you. But it's like and it's, you know, it's like you're trying to be cute. But then when I decided to drop that and just feel the hate, it's like I I hate you. I, I hate you. Like, I don't care if my face. Twi- like I hate you. Like, I don't care if my face twists. I don't care if I look. It's about telling the story. You know what I'm saying? And so when I decided to stop looking cute, to stop worrying about looking cute and do the work, feel the work, be the work, that's when I became better. So I'm hoping that when I finally get the opportunity to, you know, and I'm, I have some big auditions that just came up and I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, once I land one of those and I get the opportunity to really open up in a role, you know, I can take that route to explore it and, you know, remind myself that, you know, don't worry about how you look, just be, you know, and, and I'll probably explore other ways to really open up and be
1: that's crazy, bro, because I was watching a Yvonne Orji interview with, mm-hmm. uh I think it was the Breakfast Club, and she talked about her career um, doing stand-up, acting, and she was yeah. saying that, that she truly started to win once she learned to surrender to the possibility of
0: failure. Absolutely.
1: She was just saying how in Nigerian culture, they teach y'all you know, to strive for perfection. Yes. You know, all times. Yes. And it was something that she said, I think it was Niger, I know that Carrie Les. Oh, she please. She was saying that that has been ingrained to her since she was absolutely young. Mm-hmm. She said in her acting career she came into it with that same mentality but once she started to surrender to the mm-hmm. possibility of failure mm-hmm. that's where she truly started to thrive as an actor and stand up comedian.
0: And I didn't see that interview, but I need to watch it because I was about to tell you that yeah, yeah, Nigel never carry last yeah. and yeah, like I I'm going to be the best at and then but you just flipped it. You were just like once she dropped that, she she was able to surrender and you just kind of opened me up a little bit. Just I'm like, maybe, <laughs> you feel me? Like, you know, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I watch a lot of interviews, bro. Yeah. yeah. But but Hollywood, if you're watching this, no more thug auditions, though. I, I got enough. The other day, I finally got to audition to be a doctor. I was hyped. I was like, yo, thank you, bro. I was like, I can pronounce my words. I can pronounce my yeah. words. <laughs>
1: how do you, that's interesting, bro. Like, how do you go about maneuvering that, like, you know, Hollywood or the media's portrayals of, like, black people in certain roles. Like, how do you stray away from being typecasted?
0: Yeah. It's really hard when you're at the – it's not bottom level, but when you're starting up, it's really hard because you you start off with this desperation where it's like I need to get credits. I need to get credits. So, any role that comes, I'll take it. And at a lot of times at that level, they're booking you based off of your look and skill too, but it starts with your look because they, yeah. they invite you for auditions based on your headshot. And when you're a black man, especially if, if I'm dark skinned, if any of my pictures have earrings on or something like that, come on, man. Every single thug one, thug two, and murderer one, like it's, yeah. I'm getting called for all of those. You know, and sometimes you got to take them. You got to like do that because you do need the credit on your resume, you know, to show that you've worked on a network space. Um, But at the same time, the power comes in saying no. You have to be able to, and Chadwick Bozeman talked about this, um, but the power comes from being able to say no, knowing that, like, drop that desperation. Like you, you, to be, a lot of people think that being an actor and loving acting means that you have to want to do every single thing, every role that you. No, you're doing, you're acting because you love to tell stories. But if that's not a story that you want to tell, then don't tell it. Doesn't mean you're not a good actor or a storyteller, it just means you didn't want to tell that one.
1: It's just like the simple saying, bro, all money is not good money. Straight yeah, up. Every opportunity is not a good opportunity.
0: Straight up. I've been declining roles left and right over the last couple of weeks. And I have the luxury I have more luxury to do that because of what I've booked so far. And I'm confident that I have the skills and I have the credits to push me to the next level, to contend on a higher higher level and not, you know. But still I I, I, I urge people even earlier on, if you don't want to tell that story, don't. Say no. I've been declining roles left and right and it only makes me feel more powerful every time. Every sure, time. Bro.
1: Do you have a favorite genre where you feel like you really shine or just like have a particular yeah. interest?
0: I definitely want to be in action, man. That's why that's part of why I continue to work out so much because I just I'm I'm gonna stay ready, so I don't have to get ready. So as soon as they call me, like I'm working on, you know, training in boxing. I have I'm about to get into, you know, on stage combat and um, or f- on camera combat and blade training and stuff. I'm gonna be ready. I want to be sure you an actor. Do action. that
1: right, bro. And I'm gonna be yeah. critiquing hard. Because that's do. my Favorite genre. Please Anybody do, that bro. Don't to tell I'm a sucker for a good Liam Neeson
0: movie. Oh man. Uh,
1: Bruce Willis. Yeah. Jackie Chan, too. Yeah, my guy, bro. Yeah, <laughs> Anything with those Legend. guys, I'm a fan of that. So you got to yeah, make bro. sure you do it right. I
0: will, bro, just for you. Just for you, bro. Who you,
1: so who would you say are some of your influences that you look to?
0: In oh, the man. I mean, Denzel Washington. I love Denzel. I love Denzel. Michael B. Jordan. I love Michael B. Jordan. You I think
1: not like I think a he's, Michael B. Jordan. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh man, you just made my day, man! Everybody, y'all heard that? Y'all heard that? This is how
1: you be going to the gym. You look like him and Creed.
0: Bro. Oh man, stop, bro! Why are you casting me like this? Right, I'm Why are you casting me like this. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. But Michael B. Jordan, he's one of my inspirations. He's just a real cool dude, man. He's a real like it's it's honestly that simple. Like he's a like I think he has a kind soul too and he's talented too, but before we even get to all he's just a cool dude to me. And he's somebody who I love his image in Hollywood fitness-wise too and just I love his journey and that's somebody who if I if if I had to model my career after someone I'd be like yeah, like do it like Michael B Jordan or something, you You're know. Not
1: too shabby. Facts. It's a good person to Facts.
0: be a role model yeah. for you. And then Will Smith. Will Smith, I cool. love yeah. Will Smith is, you know, we all love Will Smith, man. I just love I, I love where he is at his career now where he's learned so much and he's passing so much of it down and he says some real stuff. He says some real like a lot of people say a lot of stuff that's kinda like, Okay, like good advice. But yeah. Will Smith really says some real stuff and that's why I respect it and love
1: him. For sure. So Before we get into the closing questions, bro, I'm going to do something different. I never did rapid fire questions before. Oh, man. But I'm going to give you a couple options for a game of this or that. Okay. So let me pull it up on my phone real quick. All right.
0: All right. This is cool. This is cool. So
1: on Drink Champs, they actually make them drink when they do a politically correct answer. Oh, okay. They just gonna do it. It's no stakes. This is just whatever you see fit. But we need you to be honest, though.
0: All right. All right. All right.
1: So the first one is try to answer with Finn. 15 seconds Okay it gotta be just stream of consciousness Okay 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 So the first one It's easy It's IHOP or Waffle House Waffle House Outkast or Migos Migos <laughs> <laughs> I, Hey I man I can't judge Come you Come on <laughs> man T.I. or Jeezy
0: Respectfully T.I. or T. T.I.
1: Alright You smart man Power or the wire The wire Wow Alright I can't I can't we, Matter of fact I want to hear your explanation
0: So you know what's funny is because I actually haven't finished either show. I'm actually behind on Come both. On, man. And I know, right? I know, right? But The Wire is just, The Wire has Idris. So, yeah. I I, I'll probably just leave it there. <laughs> Come on, bro. Amari Hardwick, bro. Amari Hardwick is hard. He's tough. He's tough as ghosts. He really is. He's but, a dope, bro. I can't take it away from The Wire. It kind of set the foundation. You know, a lot of people make those crime shows and they base it off of The Wire. That's so, for sure. You know, I'm like,
1: I respect that answer. Tell me. Spike Lee or John Singleton? Oh. (laughs) I knew this was going
0: to mess up. Hey, yo. Oh, honestly, I got to say John Singleton, rest Ah. in peace. Because respect to Spike Lee, too. Respect to John Singleton. John Singleton, uh, because of Snowfall, funny enough. Just because he has that show. I love that show. Like, that's my favorite show right now. And I want to be on it. You know, so I'd have to give it to John.
1: Okay. Martin or Fresh Prince? Fresh Prince crazy
0: boy <laughs> <laughs> i knew you I, I had a feeling he wasn't gonna <laughs> boy, like that you're too. Crazy. <laughs> man uh
1: insecure or a different world i don't know if you saw a different world so a
0: different world i never watched it um because this this isn't part of the rapper. i'm gonna go with insecure by the way but okay. this isn't part of rapid fire i know but yes i'm black yes i grew up in atlanta but i grew up in a nigerian household right so funny enough i actually miss out on a lot of things that like black people are supposed to Oh, no, your I shows played. and stuff. I actually like have to catch up. Like Fresh Prince, I watched that recently.
1: When you get a chance, go back and watch a different, a world. different world. Yeah, I've so seen episodes, inspired. and
0: I know it's good. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But it's got to go to Insecure because I didn't finish the Insecure. You know what I'm saying? And shout Yvonne. Shout out to Issa. Shout out to Issa. Shout out to Yvonne. All right. So this one, I feel like you're going to have
1: a little bias, but Atlanta or the Shy.
0: Atlanta man I, Come on. I actually shot the shy I didn't finish it either. Um I need to catch up on that, but definitely Atlanta. Donald Glover also went to uh he graduated from my high school, the cab school of the arts. Wow. And yeah, when I worked with him on set, when he directed my episode for uh Atlanta and I met him, I was like, Yo, Donald. He's like, Hey, Donald. I'm like, Yeah, I know who you are. And he's like, I told him, you know, I went to the DSA and he was like, Yo, that's crazy. So I love Donald, man. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> This one, I feel like another bias, but Lakeith or Michael B. Jordan?
0: Michael B. Jordan, yeah. All
1: right. yeah. Juice or Payton Fool? I don't know if you saw these. Um,
0: I'm going to go with Juice. <sighs> You're breaking my heart. Yeah. Man.
1: <laughs> Issa Rae or Lena Waithe? I
0: hate to put Oh, Issa Rae, Issa Rae, Issa oh, no, uh, Rae. I didn't mean to say it like that, what? but I, I love Lena Waithe, too. She's dope. She's a boss, man. I, and, you know, I I've, I work at BET as well, and I've seen, you know, 20s, seen some of her projects. They're great, brilliant. Um, but I love, I love Issa.
1: Yeah. Game of Thrones or How to Get Away with Murder?
0: Oh, stop. <laughs> oh, man. uh, How to Get Away. Ah, I know oh, it's I crazy, right? That. How to Get Away with Murder. Man, Viola Davis, brilliant. One of my inspirations, amazing. I love her. And Shonda Rhimes, writing, impeccable, unmatched, beautiful.
1: Amazing. Uh, Black Mirror or Ozark? I don't know if you ever saw Ozark.
0: I have. Um
1: different shows, but.
0: Black Mirror, mm. Black Mirror is so clever. Like every single episode, a whole story told, genius. Like new intricate stories told in like short film setting. That's genius. Black Are you Mirror.
1: Starting to, you, you starting
0: to answer these the right way. Oh <laughs> man, I'm starting. Yeah. Breaking
1: Bad or The Office.
0: Oh man, chill. All right, so The Office, Breaking Bad. I actually haven't finished it, but I've watched it enough to know that it's a great show. The Office, though, That's I gotta crazy, go to The bro. Office.
1: I'm not a fan of the office just because oh, I'm, you're one I'm not those. a fan of, like, dry humor, like, satire. I don't, I just can't get it. I feel like the jokes just go over my head,
0: bro. Bro, you're tripping. That's one of the greatest <laughs> shows ever made, bro. It has everything you need. It has the drama, the love, like, you know, the 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 funny, and it can work as a comfort show. Like, you can watch it as a comfort show, or you can sit down and watch it. It's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like, low key.
1: For sure. Just show. the last one, bro. All right. You got to get this right, man. The last one you got to get this right. This is very important, and it's a lot of people who, throughout the diaspora. They're gonna be watching this, but oh. Nigerian Jellof or Liberian Jellof? Please, bro, Nigerian, oh, bro. Yeah. Yo,
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, what? I can't believe you just tried me with well, that question.
1: You ain't see the rankings, huh? I think we was top of the rankings in the last one. We we topped the rankings. You lucky I don't got time to pull it up for you, but I think we was at the top. Bro, this is an easy call, bro. Nah. This is an easy Nigerian. Nigerian <laughs> have to take you to heavy. Real quick. Bro. Next, I'm gonna have to take you to Philly. I'll bring some back to you next time I go. Hilarious. I feel like this is
0: an easy call, bro. But Hilarious. To
1: close this thing out, bro. Um I like to close all of the episodes out the same way by asking my guests. Was there ever a moment in your journey where you second guessed yourself for your talent and you felt like giving up? And if so, how did you overcome it? And if not, you know, just what piece of advice would you give to expi- aspiring actors and actresses?
0: Here's the piece of advice that I would give. You have to believe that you are special. I have actually two tidbits. One, you have to believe that you're special. You have to believe that you're special. In a world filled with mediocrity and people who are mediocre wanting to drag you into their mediocrity, you have to believe that you're special or else that stuff is going to eat at you and it's going to eat away your drive. Like... We all know it. You know when you go around telling your dreams to people, majority of people are going to give you a reason why that thing can't happen. More people are going to tell you why you can't do something than are going to tell you what you can do. You just have to believe that you're special. And when I say that, that means that when somebody gives you valid reasons as to why something can't happen, you still have to believe that you're special enough for those reasons not to apply to you. And that's how you how you let things roll off of you. That's how you avoid things eating at your drive and your motivation because life is hard. Pursuing dreams is hard. You you can't let things eat away at your motivation or else you'll be stagnant. Mm. Believe that you're special and that simple things that are obstacles for other people don't apply to you and you'll be less phased by, by difficulty. The second thing I have to say is drive over motivation. Drive over motivation. People... Try to rely on their motivation. Oh, I feel pumped up to go to the gym, so now I'm going to go. No, because motivation is fickle. Motivation depends on how you feel. Motivation changes. If it's rainy outside, if the weather isn't good, you're not going to go, and that eats away at your consistency. Drive Drive comes from your very identity. It's not about what's on the surface. It comes from inside. What kind of person do you want to be? Are you going to the gym because you feel cool, are you going to the gym because you want to be the kind of person who never misses a session? Drive over motivation because drive can't be drive can't be taken away from you. It can't be beaten and it can't be affected by external circumstances. I don't always enjoy going to the gym. I have days where I'm like, God, Damn. I love I love rest days. I love working out, but I love rest days too. You know, but I'm driven. I'm driven. I wake up every time and I'm like, I want to be the kind of person that doesn't miss a session. I want to be the kind of person that people look at and they're like, dang, I got to do this. So drive over motivation
1: for sure, bro. Lastly, like, how do you personally define failure?
0: Failure is when you give up. Simple. Failure is when you give up.
1: So thank you for this episode, bro. I feel like you dropped so many gems. It's going to be a lot to take away from this one. This was actually one of my favorite episodes to do.
0: Just oh, man. All
1: the volume and information that you brought. So I'm tell people right. what to expect from you in the future.
0: Man, Not I'm I can right, keep up man. With you on the socials. Yeah, for sure. Hey, so like I said, follow me on Instagram at Shalom That's S H A L O M O B I, at Shalom And I'll be working on putting out a lot more content. Check out my YouTube channel, Shalom C Obiago. Um, I'll be putting out, you know, I'm working on a docu-series called Actors in the Offseason, where I just kind of document things outside of, you know, what's on screen, you know, behind the scenes of an actor, on set, offset, everything. So check that out. Be on the lookout. You know, and also check out some of my friends, man. Mike Good coming out with some stuff. My boy Rockstar Coda just came out with an album called "Thanks for the Memories." My boy Waldo just came out with a song "Polaroid Freestyle," and you know, I I got so much to drop, man. I I love my boys. I love my circle. You know, we're all gonna eat together, so. Check us all out and love, man. I'm I'm I hope to be on this podcast again with a lot more to share, you know, and, and I might have to pay next time, right? <laughs> hey man, I might have to pay. I pay to be on here, man. Stop. Much love and much respect, bro. bro. Thank you. It's been a pleasure,
1: bro.